0: Welcome to issue 6.2, the best way to teach grammar no matter where you and your students are. My children, six and nine years old, don't take kindly to authoritatively declared rules. Do any kids? Instead, they want to know why. Why can't they watch one more show? Why can't they walk to the neighborhood playground by themselves? And most of the time, when they ask why, they aren't just being obstinate or rebellious. Truly, they want to understand the rationale to internalize what's behind it. It's the same with grammar. The reason that grammar worksheets and exercises don't help most students retain grammatical concepts in the long term is because they're taught as rules devoid of meaningful whys. A little experiment. It has been many, many, many moons since I have taught grammar traditionally. And by traditionally, I mean with grammar textbooks and numbered exercises. But because this is a topic on which I consistently receive pushback, I decided to do a little experiment this year. I gave my students traditional grammar workbook exercises to help them practice putting commas after introductory words and phrases. I taught them the rule, and then I set them to work practicing. We were lucky to use an adaptive computer program for this, so every student practiced until he or she reached what the program considered mastery. For some students, it was 10 minutes of practice. For others, it was over an hour. Ultimately, every single student, quote unquote, mastered this skill. And then I asked them to take it into their next piece of writing. Can you guess how many students could do it consistently and correctly in their own writing? About 20%. 100% of my students had mastered the skill when working through contextless exercises. 20% of my students could actually apply it in their own writing. You see, when it comes to our own writing, there's a lot more going on than in those grammar activities. There's far more variability, far more gray area. And after all, as the authors, we know what we mean. So it can be hard to see places where the reader's understanding won't match our own. And this is why we need to take a deep breath, get brave, and push the grammar textbook to the side. Grammar exercises don't teach grammar, but grammar inquiry does. A method that focuses on the whys. Grammar inquiry is completely rooted in the whys. Why do writers use this? What specifically does this grammatical element or concept help a writer do? Why would I want to use it myself? When when would I use it myself? When students connect a grammatical concept or element not to a black and white rule, but to its actual function in real writing, the concept suddenly has utility, a true purpose, and the learning becomes stickier. It is the only way I have ever taught grammar that has actually worked. So let me give you a protocol for basic grammar inquiry work. Then I'll walk you through and give you one from my classroom with some 2020 tweaks. Step one, decide what grammatical skill or concept you wanna teach in this particular writing unit. I always teach grammar inside writing units, not as separate disconnected experiences. I want my students to immediately try the skill in the piece of writing they're working on. If I teach grammar disconnected from writing, students don't practice it right away and thus they don't learn it. Typically two to three grammar skills is plenty inside a writing unit. If you teach fewer, you will not get through a lot of grammar instruction in the year. If you teach more, students will drown in grammar and they won't be able to also focus on the idea organization, and style work we yearn to teach them in their writing. Step two, gather a handful of sentences or short passages that demonstrate that concept. Guess where I go? This will not surprise you at all. I just look in the mentor texts we're already studying in our current writing unit. Chances are good that you'll be able to find most of the grammar you need to teach in the mentor texts you use. Dashes and semicolons, yep, Paragraphing, sure. Parallel structure, there's usually some. But there's no need to be a purist about this. I think in 2020, I learned that there's no need to be a purist about almost anything. If your mentor texts won't do it for you, find any sentences that do. Good writing is good writing and all good writing will benefit your students. There are so many places you can go. And here are a few. Your own reading life. There's a link in the newsletter to a group of teachers who use the New York Times to find sentences to teach grammar to their students. Professional texts like Martin Brandt's recent Between the Commas or the Kilgallen's Getting Started with Sentence Composing series. There's a middle school version and a high school version that curate professional examples for classroom use. The Moving Writer's Mentor Text Dropbox has a folder of sentence studies you can search through for this purpose. Now, how many sentences you ask? Eh, five to eight, a handful. Enough that students can see some variety and some patterns simultaneously, just like the Mentor text themselves. Step three, tell students what they will be looking at today. Share the sentences with students ask them to use words that make sense to them to describe what that grammatical element is doing in each example. Now this is the part that feels like a high wire act. This is where we trust kids to notice and to think and y'all they can do it. I've done this with first graders and with 12th graders and with teachers. They can all do it. Typically I do this step in partners or small groups. Kids are intrinsically afraid of grammar, and having someone to talk it out with helps them figure it out and put words to what they are seeing. It also reduces that, am I right or am I wrong panic they often feel around grammar instruction. Now, guiding questions always help in the beginning, don't they? And sometimes they are overkill instead, so you'll know what your students need. But here are some questions I use to guide my students through the thinking they will need to do in this kind of inquiry. Guiding questions for grammar inquiry. What patterns do I see? Why do writers use this? What does this grammatical element help the writer do? What is happening in the writing before and after this grammatical element? What does this grammatical element add? Why might I want to use this element in my own writing? When might I use this in my own writing? In the newsletter, you can download a copy of these questions for your students. And then step four, share out as a class. Project each example and talk about what the students noticed and what they called it. Facilitate some consensus and record what the class agrees on, adding clarification and definitions where it's helpful. Grammar inquiry in action. Okay, wanna see that in action? Here's a grammar inquiry we did in eighth grade during the personal essay unit I recently shared with you. So step one, decide what grammar skill or concept to teach. I decided it was time to really hone in on active versus passive voice. It's a skill I know they need to practice over time. I'm still working on it myself. So we might as well get started. And it's also an instant way to bump up the sophistication level of a piece of writing. It takes writing from flabby to tight, from colloquial to polished. It's a good trick for them to start trying. Step two, gather a handful of sentences or short passages that demonstrate the concept. So I went to our mentor text to look for examples of active voice. There were of course a ton, but I wanted to find just a few clear, concise examples that I could easily imagine students writing in the passive voice. I wanted to keep this as simple as possible because I know it's a tough concept. I dumped those examples into some Google Slides. You can download the entire slideshow in the newsletter. Step three, tell students what they will be looking at today. Share the sentences with students. Ask them to use words that make sense to them to describe what that grammatical element is doing in each example. So we set to work. I told students, Today, we are going to be learning about active voice in our writing and what it can do for us as writers. Active voice is the opposite of something we call passive voice, and you'll be looking at both today. Now, this is a big idea. It will instantly make your writing sound sharper, smarter, and more professional, but it takes some brain power to do it and lots of practice over time. You're going to work in small groups to try to come up with your own definition of active voice and what it does for a sentence. The slides begin with these instructions. Directions, on each slide, you will see a sentence written in passive voice, mine, and the same sentence written in active voice from your mentor text. For each example, pay special attention to subjects and verbs. That's where the power of active voice lies. Read each, discuss with your team, and jot down what you notice happening within the sentence, specifically what's happening around the subject and main verb. What patterns or trends do you notice? And the students set to work. Since we are face-to-face, we worked six feet apart with each student looking at the slides on his or her own Chromebook. I set a timer, giving students about four minutes per slide before I encouraged them to move to the next. Step four share out as a class then we shared here's what this conversation sounded like in one of my classes a student said the verbs were and was were used a lot in the passive sentences so i said oh that's a good thing to notice because i told you that active voice has to do with subjects and verbs So one pattern we see is that the verbs were and was are in passive sentences. Does anyone know what category we put the verbs were and was in? Do those verbs sound familiar to anyone? They were crickets. Those are two of the to be verbs. Let's write them in our notes. They are am, is, are, was, were, be, being, and been. If you head to the newsletter, you can see a chart outlining the discussion we had in this class, both what the students noticed and shared, and how I used those noticings to direct them to an understanding of active voice. Does this take longer than a direct instruction mini lesson? Definitely. But even in this brief example, you can see some of the productive struggle that happens when students try to figure out what is happening and why it is happening. Immediately after this discussion, I sent students back into their personal essays. I said, it's not always possible to remove passive voice completely. In fact, sometimes it just sounds weird. But writing in the active voice to the greatest degree possible is a really good goal for us as writers. So open up your personal essay draft. Right now, I want you to go look at those subjects and verbs. Maybe begin by just highlighting places where you've written in the passive voice so you can go back and work toward revising them in the active voice. Grammar Inquiry Logistics. Back in pre-pandemic school days, I ran grammar inquiry as a gallery walk. I would write sentences on big pieces of paper and hang them around the classroom or in the hallway. In small groups, students would move from poster to poster studying the sentences, and when students made it to every poster, we would return to our seats and debrief. I miss those days. As I mentioned, we still did this face-to-face by sitting six feet from our partner, walking through the slides on each student's computer, and chatting. Here are a few more adaptations to meet your teaching reality. An asynchronous instruction, use the free Pear Deck extension for Google Slides to build in some active engagement. Here's one I created using examples from the Kilgallen's middle school sentence composing book on using splits to add detail. I've already added in the Pear Deck questions here. All you need is the Pear Deck add-on to see it and monitor students' understanding yourself. Go to the newsletter to download this lesson. You'll notice that there's certainly more direct instruction in the asynchronous version because you won't be there to have that back and forth conversation. But students still get to figure it out and put some of the pieces together for themselves. In remote instruction, use this same slide deck but break students into breakout rooms by group, giving each breakout room four minutes of work time. You can pop into the rooms to answer questions and then reconvene as a large group for the share out. Grammar inquiry centers students in the learning process, valuing what they notice about grammar at work, instead of handing them a rule, like don't use to be verbs, that is devoid of context. Leaving a round of grammar inquiry, students do know the rule, but more importantly, they know what the grammatical element can help them do as writers, what power, what options it gives them. It also makes the learning stickier because students are working hard to construct meaning. Have you tried grammar inquiry or sentence study before? How can you envision yourself using this with your students? What questions do you still have about the ins and outs of grammar inquiry? Leave a comment in the newsletter. I'd Love to hear from you.